0: welcome to an early monday edition of unexpected points the news will not stop in the nfl and i'll tackle everything that happened late last week through the weekend and of course we'll follow up on everything in free agency later this week but for now let's get to all the most recent news and its implications on unexpected points Righty, righty. Yeah, like I mentioned, this is a little early for me. Waking up, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time in the the DMV, as they say, the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia area. Right outside of uh, D.C. Drinking my my coffee here. Mm. Because we got a lot of news. I was going to podcast, come at you, after maybe the first day of free agency since we already talked last week about Rodgers, about Russell Wilson, but boom, got hit by a news tsunami over Sunday night and that's what we're going to attack. And then we also have uh Deshaun Watson news which I want to touch on, but I'm going to I'm going to hit that a little bit later in the show. Some people may not want to hear my takes, but I'm also going to give some takes with a Kind Of statistical bent to it as to how to assess his likely, uh, the likely I don't know, I was gonna say whether he, guiltiness is not always really a word, but the likely fact of whether or not he actually committed these acts beyond what the legal system may, may say and how we should view that. But anyway, th- that's gonna come in the back half, but it'll be an interesting discussion for those who like to get a view into how my weird mind thinks on these things. Uh, but for the front half. There's no better place to start than to start with Tom Brady is coming back. I will say that I did not see this exact scenario playing out. I thought he was probably going to stay retired. Um, but what I definitely didn't see as a scenario was Brady leaving for a se- even a season and then coming back at his age. Um, since he's already, you know, 44 years old now, I believe, approaching 45 years old, the fact that he would leave for even one season and then come back was kind of absurd because he would just be – the the chance of not having some sort of age-related decline would be so, so high at that point. So this is a little bit more believable for me because he was, I believe, during the regular season – I'm not sure about through the playoffs – but maybe even through the playoffs, the highest graded PFF quarterback this season, he was a top five guy in EPA per play this season. He was playing like a top, top quarterback. And the timing on this, it really had to be now. Some people thought that perhaps it would be announced in August, something like that, during the middle of a hot and heavy. Kyle Trask, Blaine Gabbert quarterback battle. Which reminds me, there was a—I uh, don't know if it was actually a real tweet or not—but someone sent something out about Kyle Trask saying pain last night. It might—it might it have been a fake tweet, but it's—it was funny either way because I think Trask did have the inside, the inside route to potentially getting a, a a job there if they did not bring someone else in. But the reason that Brady's doing it now is we've already seen the ramifications of that. Brady announces he's coming back. Ryan Jensen, his center, his free agent center, has already said, okay, well, I guess I'm coming back too. Uh, I'm going to go back (laughs) there. I think we'll quickly potentially see Gronkowski say that he's now going to come back and play for the Buccaneers. So this is really just signaling before the quote-unquote legal tampering period today that it's signaling to all of these free agents out there, that the Bucks are a place to be to get to the Super Bowl. They are immediately, immediately, if you look at if you look at um let me see Super Bowl odds. I believe they are now right near the top of those odds. Uh sorry, let me just get this here. Let's look at our friends uh DraftKings since they are a sponsor of the pod. And let's see. Okay, Super Bowl odds, they are now tied with the Packers, plus 800, slightly behind the Bills and the Chiefs at 700 and 750. And we go to conference here, uh, logically, if they're tied for the, for, the over, uh, for, the, for the Super Bowl, they're also tied to win the conference with the Green Bay Packers. So they pop all the way up there, just as good of a window as, as any. So I think Brady's case to Giselle and uh, and company <laughs> on the home front for this. Because, of course, she kind of wanted him to retire, supposedly, reportedly. And he could spend some more time with his kids, everything else. He won his championship, you know, not too long ago. He doesn't have a whole lot to prove. But I think there is a convincing case that he could make that this is one more season. I'm playing at the top of my game. Of course, if it happens again next season that he's playing at the top of this game, maybe he can make the same argument. But in reality, a lot of these guys are going to be aging on the team that they have now and the core structure that they have now. So uh, Chris Godwin, franchise tagged. Like I said, Jensen now is going to come back. It's one more year in an NFC, which is relatively weak. Again, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers, who aren't necessarily going to have a ton of cap room to get better. This offseason, they might lose one of uh, Zadarius or Preston Smith. To you know, they they had to franchise tag Devonte Adams because they don't necessarily have the space for a huge extension there. They're paying a ton of money to David Bakhtiari. They don't have they don't have a lot of flexibility there. Aaron Rodgers has a huge huge contract there. Uh, Russell Wilson, a top five quarterback, has now left the conference and gone to the the AFC and the NFC South is probably the weakest division in the NFL prior to Tom Brady announcing he was going to return with uncertainty, of course, at the quarterback position for the Saints and for the Bucs. And Sean Payton, again, not a player, but a top, top coach, one of the top coaches in the NFL out out of the NFL. You're really looking at maybe Deshaun Watson coming in to Carolina. But other than that, Matt Ryan was was the best quarterback in the division with a very poor supporting cast around him. No Calvin Ridley, the Calvin Ridley news, of course. Um, So this is a, this is a decision where Brady can make a pretty credible case that everything's aligned in a way for one more year, bring everyone back one year of an extremely weak, you know, just, just gliding path to the division title and making the playoffs. And once we get into the playoffs, a relatively weak NFC with, you know, a good Rams team where they're going to bring most of everyone back, a 49ers team, which is very much a question mark as to whether or not Trey Lance will be the guy, a Cowboys team, which is already hemorrhaging some guys like Amari Cooper, and a Packers team, which again, cannot necessarily even field as good of a team as they did last year. All of those reasons gave Tom a pretty good... Uh, window for coming back now what 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 are the implications for everyone else here well i think that this makes it a little bit more difficult of at least a one-year decision although actually you know what i'll talk about the sean watson stuff i will gonna talk about the sean watson implications there we don't know too much in there i think that's all i really have to say about tom brady coming back uh it makes sense i think this is probably a one-year deal And the implications, you'll see it immediately in free agency with what we saw with Ryan Jetson. So that all makes sense there. Before I get into the second piece of news from last night, which is the Kirk Cousins news, let me just say really quickly, if you want to get access to all the different research that I'm putting out there, I have a bunch of pieces on how uh, Dynasty and best ball ADP was affected by the different quarterback moves from last week. Uh, who to buy, who to sell based upon that. I'm going to have quarterback research coming out. I have some good stuff about pressure is coming out this week, uh, stuff about scrambling and quarterback mobility, how important that is for prospects. I'm going to come out at that next week. So all that research, the draft guide, the uh, modeling that we have on the best dynasty rookie players, all that stuff available at PFF.com. Promo code unexpected, 25% off any PFF subscription. Get all the Locked Article content, get all the draft guide content, get all the free agency content that's going to come out this week. Get it all at PFF with promo code UNEXPECTED. And one other uh, other ad here for All22, so our friends at All22, which is the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees, including myself, have been playing this last season. It relies upon weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full roster. So if you've ever dreamed of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process and if you want you want to check out this game at All22, join the waitlist on All22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at All22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22, less fantasy, more football. All right, let's get into the Cousins move. Kind of go in reverse chronological order here before I get into Wentz and maybe Amari Cooper and some other stuff that happened last week. So Cousins first because I think I really like this move. There are going to be different opinions out there. I have my take on why I think they did this. Luckily for me this morning, um, friend of the pod and – Cap contract expert, pretty much the guru when it comes to anything cap and contract related. Uh Jason Fitzgerald, Jason underscore OTC on Twitter. Uh, he runs the over the cap website. He agreed with my take. So if he if he if he backs me up, I feel very, very confident. And I was responding to someone who was talking about Cousins, whether or not they're going to be able to trade him next year. So the details on what happened. This was Cousins last year on his contract. He was going to have a forty plus million dollar cap hit he was going to have a thirty five million dollar salary, so if they did trade him, a team would be taking on thirty five million dollars as part of this deal. But what I think for the Vikings is they actually have a decent core around him that they can keep for one more year. They were going to have trouble getting rid of him for this year, and're getting much trade compensation for him this year and this extension accomplishes everything that I think was the best route here. I was a little I was much more open and in an off-season pod we did with uh Benjamin, I did with Benjamin Brown about this. I was much more open to the potential of keeping cousins for this season, but his cap hit was a little bit prohibitive. So what they did here is by giving him a one-year extension, attaching multiple void years on the end to spread out the costs, they're lowering the cap hit sufficiently this season. I think it's by 13, 14 million, help them have some room to compete. This season, uh whether it be try to improve through free agency or you know do what they need to do there, have some short term moves, they get under the cap next season, his salary and roster bonus combined are thirty million, so a little bit lower, and that roster bonus, which presumably these are paid you know on the third day of the league year or however they're paid, this roster bonus also could be set up. Where if they start to enter a rebuild next season, it also could be set up for them just to go ahead and pay the roster bonus. And then you have Kirk Cousins on a $15 million contract in a season where the salary cap for the league overall is going to jump from a little bit over $208 million this year to probably $230 million, $231 million. So it's going to have a big jump by more than 10%. So there'll be teams out there who will be very willing and able to take him. Now the downside to this is the leverage the cousin had with this is he looks at this deal at least his agent should look at this deal and say okay this is setting up my client to be traded next off season so he was able to get a no trade clause as part of that i don't think that prohibits the vikings from trading him it makes it like they might not get full maximized uh return when it comes to draft capital from it but what it really is is really not a no-trade clause. It's really not in in, in actuality that Cousins is going to say, you know what, I refuse to let you trade me. I'm going to just stick on the team here, whether you like it or not. Because guess what, if the Vikings don't want him anymore, and they draft a quarterback. He's not going to want to stay there and be potentially be a backup where he could be traded somewhere else. Being a starting quarterback in the NFL anywhere is not something that Kirk Cousins can necessarily refuse to do. What it, what's more of a choose your destination clause is what I would call it, allows him to have input into where he's going to go. And that's something that they were willing to give him knowing that they needed, that he had leverage, they needed to restructure, and they're setting it up very much so to give them a strong option of moving on after this season. And that was really the key here is that this did not turn into a multi-year extension where the Vikings are locking themselves in for a longer period of time. I felt that trading them this season was not the optimal time because of the fact that they could run it back for one more year and the fact that the way the contract, everything was going to work out was not going to be good, and the fact that they had no viable quarterback alternatives. Kellen Mond does not seem to be so great. Sean Mannion, we saw that in the Mannion experience. Uh, We don't want to see that again. Um, They might just be forced to move on a rookie quarterback in the draft this year, which they could do anyway and have set up to potentially take over next year after Cousins is gone. But he didn't want to be forced into anything. So for all of those reasons, this is why this made sense. And maybe the market for trading Cousins at that $35 million number was also very tepid. And they don't have to eat salary this way. They potentially could pay the roster bonus next year, but it won't be eating salary and having to structure it in that same sort of way that they would. So for that reason, the Vikings avoided the worst case scenario, which in my opinion would have been extending cousins for multiple seasons, locking into the Kirk cousins and never, you know, pushing forward to try to truly get that elite quarterback play. They avoid that. They avoid a getting a poor return for him and having a totally blown and throw away 2022 scrambling for a quarterback fire sale all over the place for for different players they avoid that scenario and they find a nice middle ground where they have a very very strong option and moving on from it for him from him next year if need be which is probably the right move after taking one more shot this year and structuring contracts in free agency and others with the idea that you're taking this one shot this year then you're gonna to try to clear the decks a little bit better as you can next offseason and have that be the first year of a rebuild, but you're not starting over. You're pre-planning when this is gonna to start to happen and, and looking for that quarterback option to bring in, to either step in as a rookie or uh or a veteran option for next offseason. So for all those reasons, I I love what they've done here. Um and if you're hearing that oh they're locking themselves into Cousins for another season, I don't think that's true at all. I think they've set it up in the most likely scenario is he is going to be traded. That's why he wanted the no trade clause is so he would have the ability to choose his destination or have influence on where his destination will be. Um, if there are a couple of let's say there are two or three suitors, he can he can help, you know, direct it to one of the two or three that he may prefer. So, that's my take on Kirk Cousins and what's going on there. Kudos to uh quasi Mensa and the team there uh i'm checking i know i might just be a homer here for the analytics guy but i do like what they've done here and i did previously argue that one more season of kirk cousins could be worth it considering the state of the roster and the state of the nfc so g- good job there by the vikings let's turn to carson wentz which was missed last week in the second episode that i did of this podcast so, Carson Wentz is traded from the Colts, where the writing was on the wall for a while there that hell or high water, they were going to move on from Carson Wentz after this offseason. I believe it was more of an hearsay thing than a Ballard and Reich thing, but maybe everyone was in agreement that they wanted to have this. But I think ownership definitely was a huge motivating factor here in getting this done. He gets traded to the Washington Commanders, still getting used to saying that, for multiple third round picks. I mean, this is somewhat similar to the Alex Smith deal, if you want to view it like that. And, you know, his salary is going to make 20-something million dollars. But again, 20-something million dollars in, in an environment where quarterbacks are signing $50 million deals is definitely second, third-tier quarterback money. So I don't think the commanders are necessarily overpaying. The mistake could be if they use this move and do not look to the draft what they can do but supposedly russell wilson was not willing to waive his no trade clause to go there and they were not going to be in the deshaun watson business probably uh they don't have great reputational spot here and they feel their roster around the quarterback they have a decent offensive line they have terry mclaurin they have uh logan thompson they paid money for curtis samuel last year they have a defense which could bounce back um if Chase Young can you know get his head on straight and start to perform there the rest of the guys on the defensive line are awesome so they have pieces and are ready to compete and they thought well we'll add Carson Wentz in the mix and at the very least what you're getting is an is a souped up Heinecke you're getting a player who tries to extend too many plays makes too many mistakes but now you have a now you have a guy who's plays in a similar manner but is you know four inches uh, taller, three four inches taller, um, thirty pounds heavier, and has a much stronger arm. <laughs> so it's like it's like Heineke if he had more physical talent. Basically, I mean, as much as you might say about Heineke, he was twenty fifth and twenty sixth in grading ranking last year by PFF and EPA per play ranking. Carson Wentz, whatever you say about him, Wentz was twentieth by grading. So not that hot, but he was 16th EPA per play. That's better than Russell Wilson last year. That's better than Lamar Jackson last year. Um, that's better than some other guys who you may think were were a lot better. And of course, you know, Russell Wilson had his finger injury and other things were going on. But I guess my point would be that even in a non-ideal circumstance, even behind an offensive line which did not perform objectively well last year for the Colts, even with weapons that maybe you had Michael Pittman, you had T.Y. Hilton playing sometimes, not playing other times. You had Paris Campbell who came back for a couple of games and couldn't come back again. They had a good running game, right? But the, the, the offensive weaponry was not great for the Colts. Even in that sort of circumstance, Carson Wentz provided pretty average quarterback numbers. So what you're getting with him is I think you're getting a likely outcome of somewhere between quarterback 15 and quarterback 20 performance with the upside to get around quarterback 10 and then – The downside, of course, is the 2020 Carson Wentz fiasco in Seattle, where he drops down to being a bottom five quarterback. Whereas with Heineke, you're getting a, you know, more like a quarterback 22 to quarterback 27 outcome with very little upside to go beyond that. So for that reason alone, I can see a little of an upgrade here. They're not locking themselves anything. They could still draft a first round quarterback. I'm not as low on this deal as a lot of people are. I understand that. You're not going to get excited about it, but it gives your team a chance to compete in a division which is still not going to be that great. I know Dak is there. I know that Jalen Hurts looks decent, uh, but the Giants are in disarray, and those other teams are not so good that you cannot compete with competent quarterback play. Just remember how excited many, including myself, honestly, were about the Washington football team last year when they were going to bring in, Ryan Fitzpatrick and have some sort of stable quarterback play. Carson Wentz is not any worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe you could argue Ryan Fitzpatrick could actually play a little bit better in 2020 and 2019 than Carson Wentz had, but I'll still take Carson Wentz over him. Um, and if you think about Wentz, I had a discussion with um, a reporter for the Washington Post uh, whose name escapes me here. Let me, uh, oh, Sam Fodier. Fortier? 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 I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard him pronounce it. But anyway, he used to be a Steelers reporter. He's working with the Washington Post now covering the commanders. I had a discussion with him. You guys can check out an article where he has quotes from me and from uh, Matt Bowen. Bowen, ESPN's Matt Bowen. For talking more of the strategic scheme side of things, uh, I'm talking about the numbers side of things. So the key is like, can Carson Wentz become 2017 Carson Wentz? And the answer is no, but that's okay. Because 2017 Carson Wentz, where he was top five in grading, top five in EPA per play, uh, the potential MVP before he had his ACL tear against the Rams near the end of the season. I think it was in week 14, maybe, that he tore his ACL. Uh so with a few weeks remaining. Um he can't, he can't really get to that level because it was based upon unsustainable third down play. If you look at his late down EPA, so his EPA on third and fourth down, EPA per drop back on third and fourth down, it's the highest number that we've seen in about 10 years. Whereas his EPA on first and second down was more in the middle quarterback range. I think it was fifteenth in the NFL. So he's just not going to probably get that That late down boost like he had in the past, I mean, he could potentially get it a little bit because of the way that he plays and he wants to extend play. So you have some upside there. He can throw the ball down the field, but you're not going to get that much of a boost. So the answer isn't getting there. The answer is, are you getting back to 2018 Carson Wentz, Uh, 2019 Carson Wentz, where he's about a mid-level quarterback? And that's who I think he is. That's the best projection for him is that mid-level quarterback. So that's who they're acquiring here. And I think there's a little bit of a coloring of how we view Carson Wentz because when Carson Wentz was being discussed, the fact that he was probably going to be released a couple of weeks ago, I, against my better judgment, had tuned into some of the, you know, the, the shows, the get ups, the whatever shows that are on television talking about these things. And the entire highlight reel, highlight, I put in quotes here, reel of Carson Wentz were his most embarrassing and worst plays of the season. And that's kind of colored, I think, a lot of people's views. It's also colored their views that everyone saw the Saturday game against the Patriots where they won the game even though he was awful, awful, awful. Only 12 pass attempts, completed five of them. Had four turnover-worthy plays, I think, in that game. So everyone saw that. Everyone saw the monsoon game against the 49ers. Everyone saw the collapse at the end of the season. Well, maybe not saw, but was paying high attention to the collapse at the end of the season. Um, So because of that... I think people very much viewed the team and said, this is a team that's winning in spite of Carson Wentz instead of because of him and his best weeks of the season were earlier in the season when they weren't winning games, which was not his fault necessarily. So he's better than people think he's not great. That's where he falls in. And for that type of compensation, that type of money, it's not a bad move for the commanders. But the key here, like for all, every team always is never be satisfied and just say, okay, Got quarterback taken care of for the next couple of years because you have someone like Carson Wentz. That was the whole, that was the whole reason that I pounded the table for saying the Jalen Hurts draft pick was good. Was that there are very few quarterbacks in the NFL where you can really, you know, do this. Uh, I, for those listening to the podcast, I'm doing the old wipe your hands clean move here, um, and say don't have to worry about that for a while. Uh, and let's never let's not look at potential options of upgrading. Very few teams should be in that boat. Commanders certainly should not be in that boat. But as long as they don't fall into that trap, I like this deal for them to have a competitive team this year, have a little bit of upside. And Carson Wentz, geez, this guy is like the Carson Wentz pyramid scheme that people are joking about. If he plays decently well, there'll probably be someone else who may want him next season if you want to move on for him with with minimal damage to uh, the cap if you decide to do so. Last move I want to talk about from last week before I move on to my Deshaun Watson discussion is Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper was traded to the Browns for almost nothing. I think it's a swap of fifth and sixth round picks and then an additional sixth round pick thrown in there. So we're talking about the equivalent of a day three pick here. The Browns pick up his $20 million a year for the next three seasons. So a pretty expensive, but not top of the market contract. But the way wide receiver contracts have been going, they've been pretty stagnant near the top Uh, I don't really view stuff like the DeAndre Hopkins extension as being a real contract. It's more like that was a makeup deal for prior years, that extension. So it is one of the more expensive contracts in the NFL. But the Browns need, need, need wide receivers. Going into this season, outside of Jarvis Landry, who is a $15 million cap hit, who subsequent to this deal, the Browns opened up his ability to go and look for a trade partner because they were either going to release him or they're going to use that leverage of potentially releasing him to force him to renegotiate that deal down. There was no doubt about it. it. doesn't sound like he wants to do it. He wants to see if there's a suitor who will pick up that $15 million deal, most of which the Browns will save. Um, spoiler alert, I don't think he's going to find anyone to pick that up. But, and I don't think it's going to be worth the Browns Time to you know eat any contract to get any draft any additional draft compensation back for for Landry. So outside of Landry, who is likely going to be gone, we're talking about Donovan Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz. Schwartz is a twenty you know one year old third round pick. Donovan Peoples Jones is a former sixth round pick who has shown some promise, and they also have Rashard Higgins there, who I believe is a free agent. So they'd have to bring him back, and it's not like he's showing a whole lot. So. They're bringing back Njoku, so they have the tight end. They still have the triple tight end threat. Whether or not they get rid of Hooper, Hooper, bad deal, bad deal. You know, I think I might appraise it at the time. My bad. Bad deal there. Uh, They're still locked into that with a lot of um, dead cap, so they may still have to keep him. But I do not think at all this takes the Browns out of consideration for drafting a wide receiver in the first round, which is what everyone's been talking about. I think they could use Cooper here, uh, a player who they can also move on from in subsequent years with pretty minimal cap. Damage. Use Cooper here while drafting one or two wide receivers to start to build out that wide receiver core in a very expensive offense already paying even more money for wide receivers. Probably off the table. They have a very inexpensive defense outside of Miles Garrett right now, uh, and that will eventually change as they need to resign guys. So they're going to need to bring in some inexpensive talent uh, offensively to start to to work to work through the system there. The reports are out. In the larger picture for the Browns that they may be interested in Deshaun Watson, that they're going to be vetting quarterback options. They should definitely be vetting quarterback options. I'm not a fan of Watson and I'll, we'll get into the Watson stuff soon, but um, they should definitely be looking at quarterback options. This is, you know, Baker Mayfield's fifth year option. They can move on for him potentially even now, if they find someone who can take him as a trade. So I think they're, they're exploring everything and it makes sense. This Cooper deal is just really to give a baseline floor of competency and talent to a totally bereft position right now. But it doesn't mean they're going to stop building around it. It doesn't mean that this is the move that's going to get them to Sean Watson. They needed to make a move like this anyway. They needed, they needed some more bodies in that wide receiver room, and especially at least someone that could, be, that could be reliable. And the whole idea of, oh, Mayfield and OBJ didn't fit together, so well, let me tell you, there's no way he's going to fit with Amari Cooper You know, it's like some of this is there's a random component to certain things here, how certain players and and certain wide receivers fit together. You can't just say Baker Mayfield didn't fit with wide receiver X, so therefore he's never going to fit with any wide receiver who is similar to X. That's just not how it works. Okay. some of this is coin flipping out here. And we're way too confident just generally in our analysis, the NFL, that you flip a couple of heads on the coin. You're like, oh, guess what? We're just going to flip heads forever for the rest of our for the rest of our lives that's just not how things work in the NFL. We don't know what the dynamic is going to be between them. And at the very least, you shouldn't stop trying to get talented receivers because of the fact that trying last time did not work. Trying and failing one time does not preclude you from ever trying again. That'd be silly to do so, especially when you're not fully bought in on the quarterback anyway. And Cooper could be there to play with a different quarterback, you know, as soon as this season but especially next season and going forward. All right, so before I get into the Sean Watson talk here, let's talk DraftKings Hoops fans for the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets. If they win, it is that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, the sports books probably put it on there. You can still take a shot at big payday. Everyone gets huge cash prizes on DraftKings daily fantasy basketball contests, giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NF- NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for a list of specific requirements. State-specific requirements for responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800 Gambler and Manscaped. I think it's the same code here. Manscaped. Round of applause, everyone! Today, I'm excited to announce the Manscaped launch. Their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not so private parts. I'm talking about leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest to join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. That's 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping with code PFF at Manscaped. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. Okay, so Deshaun Watson. Again, not everyone's going to want to hear this discussion because I'm not going to stick to sports here. Although I think this is extremely sports relevant here, talking about Deshaun Watson and what's going on. I want to hit the Deshaun Watson situation, legal, who will sign him, ethical, everything else. I want to hit it in three three parts, and there's three reasons why I am very much against. A team that I like. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a, a fan of the Browns because of people I know in the organization, their philosophy that they take, the fact that my man back here over my shoulder, my angel over my shoulder, Sashi Brown, hopefully he did not die for this. For all of those reasons. Um, but I'm gonna lay out the three main components of how I view this case. And for, for those who know me and have followed me on Twitter, and you know, there's been plenty of NFL domestic violence and other issues in the past for for players i'm not someone who just reflexively pounds the table and gets high and mighty about what should end up happening here i may have come off a bit that way with with the with what's happening with deshaun watson but it's because i i do view this in in a little bit of a different way not just the severity and the mindset behind the crime but then also the lack thereof of punishment and the timing of this is really just the fact that this coincides with him being potentially open for someone to trade for him just really nakedly exposes how little anyone cares about these charges. So that'll be the So three different components we're talk about. Number one, how to assess his probable guilt, how I would assess his probable, probable guilt, how to look at it inside and outside the framework of, of the legal system. And again, I'm not a, a legal scholar here. I'm not a lawyer, but I've done some research and I'll have some humility in how I'm trying to discuss and think about those things. Number two, the I'd say the severity of the accused acts, but more than just the severity, like the, the mental mind state of someone who would do this, kind of how I view it a little bit differently than some of the domestic violence and other charges that we've seen in the past and why it's important. And three, the appropriateness of whatever the potential punishment will be in conjunction with how we talk about it and how we think about it. And again, this whole thing of how nakedly exposed we've all, the whole NFL structure has been to how these things are viewed because of the fact that he is about to be traded. Okay, and then lastly, you know, where he might end up, we can talk about that too. Although that may be announced, you know, who knows. That may be announced before I even get off uh, while I'm taping this podcast right now, where he may be announced. So let's get into those those three aspects. Number one, his guilt or innocence in a legal and non-legal term. So in a, in a in a legal way, we 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 saw what happened. They're not going to press charges, brought before a grand jury, and I think that how I view the likelihood that he committed these crimes versus how the legal system does is very different. And it exposes a gap, I believe, in how the legal system views this. And the, the main problem is that how I view this is the number of accusers when it comes to one of these situations is important to me. I know there is the blanket statement of believe women. and believe women like some other blanket type of statements is a simplified version of a more complicated view believe women does not mean women never lie believe women does not mean every accuser is credible believe women does not mean that you should convict every single potential um sexual assault perpetrator on the word of one accuser with no evidence beyond testimony. That's not what it means. What believe women means is that how we, our default for how we view women who are accusers in these circumstances, our default should be based upon the correct kind of In statistical terms, what I say with the correct kind of base rates, like generally, overwhelmingly, even, women who are accusing men are telling the truth. Okay? It doesn't mean we believe them all. It doesn't mean that you don't make any adjustment based upon, you know, inconsistencies in stories, things like that. But what it means is we should have in the back of our minds an understanding that accusers are generally telling the truth overwhelmingly so. We shouldn't come into any circumstance with the idea that, you know, there's a 10% chance they're telling the truth and a 90% chance they're not telling the truth. The reality is the reverse. Okay, so that's number one. But even if you don't have such a high number, even if you're not going to say, I believe that 90% of the time women are telling the truth, even if you're going to believe a much lower number, what comes into play then is the quantity of accusers becomes very, very important. I mean, let's think about this in a pure <clears throat> statistical manner. Now, these are not independent events, but how you would judge an independent event pretty easily is to say, you know, what's the probability that you flip a coin twice and it comes out heads? One of those two times, right? Think about that. One of two times you end up getting heads when you flip a coin. So it's 50-50. So It's really like the reverse of the probability that you get tails twice, right? So you have a a 50% chance of getting tails once. You have the 50% chance of getting tails again. So you have a 25% chance of getting tails twice. And you have a 75% chance of getting heads at least once. So a 50-50 coin, even in two flips, now becomes a 75% chance of getting heads once. Think about this in terms of these accusations. Only one of these accusations needs to be true for him to be guilty. Not twenty. All need to be true. If you invalidate one of these accusations of 20, that does not invalidate the other 19. So only one needs to be true. And again, there are 10 different women who are willing to give criminal complaints, two of which, two of whom I should say, were not suing Deshaun Watson. So this whole angle of a coordinated um, extortion attempt is, is bunk also because of the fact two of them were not suing him and another woman gave a very credible account to Jenny Vrentas in Sports Illustrated who was not part of either thing not part of the criminal case not part of the civil case but she was a licensed masseuse who was assaulted by Deshaun Watson what motivation does she have to do this this is and they checked and they got contemporaneous messages that she had sent to family members and others telling them about what had happened at the time what motivation does this person have this person is not part of any coordinated extortion attempt. This is a very, very credible journalist who is dealing with this. So all we need is for one of these women to be telling the truth. So even if you thought there was a, let's say, if if you have a total skewed mindset on this, you think it's 90% likely they're they're lying. Once we start talking about 20 accusers, the likelihood, even if each one is only 10% telling the truth, even when you have that, so you have a 90% of the time these accusers are lying, which of course is wrong, which I said earlier. But even if you want to say that, once you have 20 accusers, the probability that all of them are lying is is way less than 10%. So it's still a, even if you think there's a 90% chance that each individual accuser is lying, the probability that all of them are lying is less than 10%. It flips the odds fully. And like I said, our baseline for, for whether they're lying or not should be much, much, much higher, which brings it down to a minuscule, if not infinitesimal, likelihood that all of them are lying in this circumstance. Again, you can point to and this is what people who want to discredit things, and I've seen this on, on Twitter myself as someone said, like, "Oh, look if this is the you know Instagram page and video of one of the accusers, and look at how, how bad it looks. you know, she's a sex worker type of thing. Yeah. That's fine. But again, we have 20 accusers, many of whom licensed professionals who worked in this area, not sex workers. No way could be painted as sex workers. Some people like to think if you have 20 accusers, you prove one to look like a likely uh, uncredible, you know, someone who's not credible as a witness, and that discounts the other 20. That's not how it works, okay? You wouldn't rather have two credible witnesses than and zero else than 20 credible witnesses and one of them is bad. You know, you still have that that volume that's there of professional women who are accusing this to happen. So because of that, the likelihood that he committed this in my opinion is extremely high, extremely high that something was going on here. And his innocence or guilt in the grand jury just shows the difference between my way of thinking of this, which is looking at these multiple accusers and thinking about the likelihood of all of these women from different places, from different backgrounds, some very, very, very professional who have no reason of doing this, some not even suing, some speaking to reporters about it who are not part of any process. The probability of all that happening, that goes into my calculation of figuring that out. That's not part of the legal system. The legal system does have something, and again, I'm not a legal scholar, so I'm going to talk about this a little bit, but I don't want to get too far into it. They do have a potential for a witness of, for quote-unquote prior acts to come into it. But generally, these cases are all going to have to stand up on their individual merits. Our legal system does not want to prejudice the jury to think that you can bring in all these different accusers with unproven cases themselves and then prejudiced the jury against Deshaun Watson in this one particular case. Even in the Bill Cosby case, remember all the different accusers that Bill Cosby had. And the first time he was tried, they were able to bring in one witness of a prior act. And generally, these are, these are women who cannot, who are out of the statute of limitations, who you know, cannot even bring a case if they wanted to, who can come in and then testify to build this kind of like pattern, this pattern that's possible there. In the second Cosby trial, there were five witnesses they were able to bring in. But again, uh, you know, the, for the Deshaun Watson trial, they may not have been able to bring in any. They would have to fight for that, like holy hell. Uh, it's inadmissible most of the time to bring in these, these other witnesses. And a lot of these women were still within the statute of limitations, so they should be bringing their own cases. So by the fact that each one of these women had nothing but their own testimony to go on, for the most part, almost entirely, you had some you know, messages back and forth, but Watson was very careful not to say anything that would be incriminating in those, um, or not explicitly incriminating at least. Because of that, it made the legal case very, very difficult. And that's why these sexual assault cases are so difficult to prosecute in the first place. And like I said, they've kind of started to bring in this potential for prior acts, witnesses, but it's not nearly enough, in my opinion. To really justify the 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 harm of potentially prejudicing the jury, in my opinion, is a is a acceptable downside to being able to show a systematic pattern of behavior and then get a conviction that through through that manner. And that's what they how they would have had to do it in the circumstance, and they just couldn't do it. Okay, and that brings me into my second point here, where we're talking about the severity of the crime. Because part of the reason why Deshaun Watson is avoiding criminal charges and the civil cases are going to be difficult for these women is because of how he perpetrated things. Because of the cool and calculating manner in which he perpetrated things. In these other cases, when we talk, let's think about like Tyreek Hill and domestic violence. Let's even talk about Ben Roethlisberger with his uh, his rape charges that were not that were dismissed and not followed through on. Those are messier in a way because they're not as coolly calculated of acts. I mean, I don't know what was going on in Ben Roethlisberger's mind. I know that there was drinking involved in a lot of stuff that he's going on there. Obviously, with domestic violence, you should never, ever, ever cross that line to being physical. At the same time, you know there are domestic disputes which don't cross the line which, you know, a lot of people have. I've been in arguments with my significant others, of course. Uh, you never cross that line, but that's more of like an impulse control, anger management sort of line crossing that happens there. What Watson was doing here was, I mean, maybe not the first time something like this happened, but the first time something like this happened, it was an impulse control sort of, sort of issue for, for him. But clearly by the fact that he 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 was finding these women on Instagram setting communication up in a way with nothing incriminating going to often wanting them to come to his location in a place that he would want to be but often going to theirs making sure and checking that they would be completely alone the entire time you know commenting on that that's a common theme here locking the door in multiple circumstances according to these accounts and then Leaving things unsaid afterwards, of course, you know, he's not, like, coming back and making sure not to do anything that would cause any sort of, like, physical evidence, you know, harm in that sort of way. By doing all of these things, Watson was was coolly and calculating in making sure there wasn't going to be evidence for him to be prosecuted. Like, his – the fact that he wasn't prosecuted is not necessarily – Evidence that he's innocent as much as is evidence of how calculating these acts were. And that's what I find extremely troubling about this. Is that this was not just someone committing a sexual assault. This is someone calculating and preying upon the vulnerabilities of these women and doing it in such a way over and over again that it's kind of, you know, borderline sociopathic type of behavior and lacking of empathy to be doing this over and over and over again. I mean, maybe he thinks all masseuses are, you know, that's what they do. And he doesn't believe in the fact that there are medical massages and other things. Maybe that's possible. But that is extremely troubling to me, because that is not just a crime of, quote-unquote, crime of passion, which, of course, again, not excuses. We're talking about context here. um, That these were deliberate acts set up and perpetrated in a way to, discourage the victims coming out because they knew they wouldn't have evidence and to get away with it in the end. And the fact that someone could think like that and act like that and perpetrate these things like that is extremely troubling to me, extremely troubling. I have less empathy for rehabilitation and forgiveness and for everything else for someone who could be that cool and calculating about it over and over and over again. You may view it differently. Again, this comes with the, the background that I believe it's highly, highly likely that he did this. So if you don't believe he did this, then you're not going to believe any of this section. But I think I made a compelling case for the fact that he actually did do this. And then third, let's go to the third part here for why this case troubles me so much. And that is just the the lack of any sort of real punishment here. And you could say he wasn't able to play for a year. You could say his reputation is damaged. But he earned his money. He would have been playing for the Houston Texans, you know. They weren't going anywhere last year. Um, and now, because of the fact that this is this is happening concurrently with a trade, it has just exposed how little actual ramifications there are for someone who is not convicted like this. You know, when when Ben Rofflesberger went through his rape accusations, you know, we could just throw out these things of like, oh, will the Steelers cut him or not? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they were never going to cut him, of course. Now we, we can't even have like, oh, will the Texans cut him or not? Instead, it's how many first round picks is another team going to trade for him to get him? Because that's the reality of how these things are viewed. Even an act, which in my opinion, what he was doing is worse than some of these other. Well, again, I I, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to get into like the badness of it. But the cool and calculating nature of it is just it just it just gets me. So the fact that this is nakedly exposing the fact that the NFL media establishment, NFL franchises who are in need of quarterback play, it just exposes there is there's no discount here that they're replying to this. He's going to get 35 million dollars this year. He may be suspended for a little bit and lose some of that, but there's no discount to the amount of money he's going to be paid in the future on a bigger contract where he'll be well over 50 million probably. And there's no discount to the amount the teams are willing to trade for him and value him based upon that. That has all become fully exposed with what's happened here. And it's sad because even as a, you know, an analytics guy and people like to paint us as being cold and heartless and you know, number bots and we don't care about running backs and, you know, people damaging their bodies as long as they give us X amount of war every single play. Um, I think it is important, the integrity of the game, the integrity of, not the game, the integrity of the team is important. Winning is not everything. Even so much as as having people you enjoy being around, I think is important and is a big part of you know the NFL experience whether it's for coaches and for players or for front office and for for so on these are things that organizations should should value more and especially i think they should value having not having people who credibly preyed upon and sexually assaulted you know 20 different women um that just seems something that that's that should be important and a lot of this also, you know, sends signals. The fact that the clamoring over him, the media clamoring, the teams clamoring over him, it sends such strong signals to other victims of sexual assault. The vast majority of those never got any sort of legal justice for it for the same reasons that Watson's victims won't, that people really don't care. That if they can benefit from this person who is generally the more powerful person right that's why that's why they're in a position to to prey upon uh these women if they can benefit from them they will move on immediately to do so and it's really exposed that here again because there's not even talk of you know cutting him or doing whatever we're just on full out Deshaun Watson trade watch biggest trade compensation in the history of the NFL including a re-upping eventually to the biggest contract probably in the history of the NFL. And, you know, that's the sad part of it. The 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 saddest part of it, of many, of many sad parts for me. So that's how I'm viewing the Deshaun Watson situation the way I have. If you want to think I'm being high and mighty about it, that's fine. I'm trying not to be judgmental, I'm trying to be less judgmental to how other people may view it. But I'm hoping that, you know, maybe teams peel back a little bit on how they're thinking about it, especially people and decision-makers that I I respect. Um, but I'm not expecting that to happen. I'm not naive. I'm not expecting it to happen. We will, you know, we'll have to move on, not move on fully at a certain point, but we'll have to, you know, deal with the fact that he's going to be a top quarterback in the league for, for many years to come without likely any sort of true ramifications beyond an NFL investigation, where, of course, there will be some sort of suspension, but we don't know exactly how long. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm going to come at you. Sorry to be so somber here in this last half here, but I had to get that off my chest. And we'll come back at you later this week to discuss everything going on with free agency and then, you know, maybe where Deshaun Watson is actually going to land. Uh, Rate and review the pod. Let me know any feedback on this. If you think I'm being unfair to Watson, I am very open to hearing your criticism. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone here again a little bit later this week. Thanks so much, everybody.